From the Asset Builder headquarters in Dallas, Texas, welcome to Keep It Simple, a show that discusses simple techniques and philosophies to help de-stressify investors around the world. I'm your host, Jared Herzog, and welcome to the show. Today, we're learning from our esteemed veteran registered investment advisor, Adam Morse, and our human economic database and fearless CIO, Michael French. And today, we're talking about the presidential election. What effect will who makes it in office have on the stock market? We all know people who are voting based on what they think the stock market might do, depending on who becomes president. And so Michael and Adam analyze past elections and the stock market that followed to see if there's any connection between the two, between an election and the stock market in the preceding year. The conversation was great. We know you will enjoy it. Guys, thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions or uh, suggestions for the podcast, please email us. It's podcast at assetbuilder.com. All right, without further ado, let's get to the show. So today we're obviously talking about how the presidential election might affect the stock market and how it has in the past. Um, and obviously that's because we're in an, an election year. So we thought it might be interesting to talk about that. But also the other things that, that affect the stock market, because like a, a, lots and lots and lots and lots of things affect the stock market. Adam, do, does anybody ever question that? Like, OK, if Trump gets elected or Biden gets elected, the market's going to swing one way or the other. Do you ever hear that sort of opinion? Absolutely. All the time. All really? the time. And it will surprise no one that it's not leaning one way or the other. It's probably half and half. Like right. I have some clients that think it's doomsday if Trump gets reelected. It's doomsday if Biden gets elected on the other side. Um, right. I think, and that makes sense. I, I understand that um, from an emotional and a psychological point of view. But it's like everything else we always talk about. You have to go back and look at the data, and there's just no data that supports. I mean, like I said, you go back to 1929, Hoover. The, whether it's Democrat or Republican, it's it's pretty much split down the middle in terms of how many presidents have held office for either party. And I'll, I'll write it down while we continue to talk here um, mm-hmm. to get exact figures. But there's not even a correlation between, you know, the years that, that that office changes. So in other words, the years where it goes from one party to the other, there's no correlation that says this is going to be an up year or a down year. So I think a lot of that is, you know, people's emotions get involved because obviously, and I think this is more true now than ever with social media and all the information we have access mm-hmm. to, but people are very emotionally tied to their political party slash their political beliefs, almost mm-hmm. to the point where like it's, it's, it's dogmatic to, to a certain mm-hmm. standpoint, right? Like even in the face of new data, people seem hesitant to want to adopt a new view um, on both sides. And so I think there's such a sense of mm-hmm. if my view that I'm so tied to doesn't win out, there's no outcome other than just doomsday. <laughs> like that now, has to be the outcome. Now, isn't that the worrying factor, though? Because really, it's not presidential policy that moves the market. It's really investor confidence in what that president will do, correct? That will. Not- you know what Not I mean? Really? Uh, okay. And Michael, you could weigh in, but ultimately, investors are investing in companies. They're not investing in right. the president. They're not investing right. in Congress. They're investing in privately held com- or excuse me, publicly held companies, but that are privately run in the sense that they are not collectively run by the government. They are run independently of the government, and 
because this is a capitalistic society we live in, mm-hmm. or quasi-capitalistic, you could argue, they are interested in one thing, and that is providing value to the shareholders in the form of profits. Right. And as long as that remains the focus of these companies, that's what investors ultimately – now, I'm not arguing you don't have some, some retail investors, some investors factoring that in, but I, at least if you're a savvy investor, you're not investing in the president. You're investing in the companies and the behavior of those companies. Yes, but isn't the fate of those co- companies ultimately uh, at the hands of who's in office, or at least the investor's That's, perception of that? Michael? Yeah, I would say I, I have a I have a slightly different view than Adam does. I agree. That How dare betting, you, Michael? <laughs> How dare you disagree with me? I, I agree that people are investing in a well-run company, but it it's not. I wouldn't say it's indisputable because it is disputable. You could argue about this, uh, but it's largely it would be largely an argument about the degrees to which these things happen. So, for instance, uh, if you took an energy company, uh, an an older energy company, an oil producing company or coal producing company, and you said, "Hey, do you think this company is going to do better or worse under a Democrat or?" A Republican, mm-hmm. you know, who is going to pass legislation that's maybe more environmentally friendly? Who do you think that's going to be? And uh, the Green New Deal was something that you know was proposed by one party. It, it was definitely something that you would have said, okay, if we're going to invest in renewable energy, uh, we would want to do that under a Democratic administration. If we were going to not move portfolios that way, we would do that under a Republican administration. So I do think that that agendas, policy agendas, can have something to do with it. Ultimately, if you invest in a green energy company and it's poorly run, and this is Adam's point, what does it matter who the president is? If if the shareholders are going to get screwed, if the person who takes your money uh, invests it poorly or manages the factory poorly or can't, you know, produce whatever it is that needs to be produced. Um, if you look at President Trump, when he talks about, I'm going to bring jobs back to America, um, you know, it's, it's a populist thing. Uh, you can question, well, wait, what's going to happen to the price of goods that are sold to American consumers right. um, if we can't get the, the least expensive uh, prices for, for, I don't know, flat screen TVs? What if a flat screen TV starts costing two or three times what it costs today because you've got you know, unions and a bunch of stuff associated with manufacturing that here in the United States that you don't have in China? Um, it can have an impact then on well, how many TVs is uh, Samsung going to sell? You know, probably fewer. Uh, so I do think that that politics and who becomes president, who runs Congress, I do think that these um, decisions have an impact. What I would say is that we largely react. This is where I totally agree with Adam. We largely react emotionally. Uh, to something that's a confirmation bias or to something that we're scared of. Mm -hmm. So when President Obama was elected, 
Um, we had people who were sure that insurance companies were going to go out of business. Uh, we were going to have, you know, universal health care and nobody would ever get to have private insurance again. And then you, you, you look at what ends up coming out of the Affordable Care Act and people have to go out and buy private insurance. Now, you can argue that the, the private insurance that they're buying is less profitable to the insurance companies. It's more heavily regulated, et cetera, et cetera. But the point is just Blue Cross Blue Shield, Aetna, you know, Provident Health, these companies just didn't go away. They, they continued to provide uh, the product because despite the fact that a lot of people believed there would never be private insurance, um, that wasn't the case. So I think we overreact to mm -hmm. uh, elections. And I think if you roll back to 2016 on election night, look at what happened to futures when President Trump was uh, yep. elected, markets plummeted. Uh, he comes out a couple hours later, says, I'm going to focus on the economy and stock market futures soared. Uh, what had he done? Nothing. He made a speech. So, yeah, it was a reaction. It was an emotional thing more than anything else. Yeah, because I also think it's a very short-sighted – again, it, it's like many market timing techniques that traders use and investors use. It's a very short-term-minded kind of strategy because you're saying, well, in the immediate term, this president, whoever that is that gets elected, is going to negatively impact markets. What well, you're completely – Leaving out of that equation is, first of all, the president and the president's policies and his impact on the market through those policies is one of hundreds, if not thousands of factors that impact the markets. Right. He's one guy or she someday is one woman right. making these decisions. Now, they have a wide impact. I'm not arguing that, but it's still one input and a number of inputs being uh, – Global climates, geographical factors, uh, foreign leaders, uh, foreign wars that have an impact on things like oil prices, uh, natural disasters, all these things which are unforeseen. So to overweight your decision making based on one of these factors, I would argue is just flawed because you're attributing the outcome in the market to one data point when really we don't have a lot of evidence that suggests we can put all of that outcome on the one factor of who's this president or who was just elected. So that's one. Two is it's also completely – this approach is also completely discounting what capitalism and a free market encourages, which is regardless of the president and regardless of the, the policies that they try to implement, your job as a company, as a capitalistic company that is motivated to provide profits is to find ways around those things. Mm -hmm. And to innovate and to find ways to change your business model, change your approach, change your marketing strategy, whatever the case is, to find persistent profits. And companies have demonstrated time and time again, they're really, really good at doing that, <laughs> like on a broad basis. So I think that to discount that is really just, I mean, you're ignoring all the data. And if I could, Jared, I want to just kind of, because what started this conversation was you saying, you're kind of bringing up the topic of this presidential election cycle theory, right? Mm -hmm. And so let's just clearly define that theory for everybody really quick. It's the theory that states the first year after a president is elected 
is the weakest year of that four-year cycle in the market. Okay. Now it doesn't say it'll be a down year or an up year, it just says the weakest year. Okay. So let's just look at some data really quickly. First of all, this data goes back to Hoover's term uh, when he was uh, inaugurated in 29. Okay. So it's almost 100 years of data. First of all, just for all the different, for all both sides out there, of the 15 presidents that we've had since Hoover, eight have been Republican, seven have been Democrat. Okay. So about as close to 50 50 as you can possibly get. Mm-hmm. Now, there's been 23 elections. Okay. 15 presidents, but obviously 23 elections going back to Hoover. Of those 23 elections, of the first year after each of those elections, 19 years have been positive growth in the market, four years have been negative growth. So to me, that just speaks really clearly to sure that 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 academic theory of presidential election cycle theory, it might be accurate in that. And let's just let's just assume that it is. Let's assume that the first year on average is the weakest year. Well, I don't care necessarily if it's still a positive year. Like Mm -hmm. just because this first of four years is, let's say, the lowest positive return, I still want that positive return. Right. And what this says very clearly is, well, 19 of those 19 years of the 23 years are positive. So, yeah, I still want to be invested, like regardless of who's being elected. That's just what the data statistics would tell you. Michael, what do you think about that? Like, what does that that tell you? Um, that overwhelming evidence that says 19 of the 23 years are positive. Am I, am I too strong in my assumption? No, I don't think you are. If you look at this and you say, um, we have 23 years that we can evaluate. If four of those years were negative, how outside the realm of normal is that? Uh, because what you're, what you're essentially saying is, hey, would it be Wrong to expect to have negative returns one out of every five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a little bit, it's not just a little bit, it, it is more than average. Uh, I think it, I think on average, it's one out of nine years. If you went back and looked at 200 or 150 years of data, I'm not sure exactly what that number is, but I can get it. Um, so it is, it is more, but it's not hugely more. And the other thing is, I think if, you know, if Adam went back and he said, okay, well, why, why, for instance, did we have these, these, these big drawdowns? Was it the election of that individual or were there, you know, like you said, we had the Great Depression. It wasn't because we elected somebody. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't remember if that was one of the, the instances you used, but it was. Um, if you Okay. Hoover's, if you look Hoover's at for sure. Okay. So if you look at 08, uh, which again, it, it, 08, to be clear, is the year that President Obama was elected, but it was the last year of President Bush's presidency. So, mm-hmm. you know, when we, when we use these numbers, it's just so, or when people use these theories, it's so interesting because I would argue, well, the first year of President Obama's presidency was 09. And so when people say, oh, an election year, well, the election happens at the end of the year. And so if you told me on November 3rd, if by any small possibility we know who the president's going to be on November 3rd, 
most likely we won't. But if we did, if on November 3rd we knew who the new or you know who the, the president was going to be for the next four years, I don't think you're going to have more market volatility between November 3rd and December 31st than we've had during the first part of this year. So if you look at 2020 and say, oh, a lot of that market volatility was caused because of an election, you know, 100 years from now, if you look back and say that about this, this period in time, you would just be wrong. Like yeah. the market volatility did not occur because there was an election. Well, there's a lot of other stuff that's occurring because there's an election. There's some social unrest. There's, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff that you can attribute to the election. But market volatility, I would argue, is much more a function of a pandemic uh, mm -hmm. in this case. Right. So it's it's to even think about a singular factor amongst all of the factors. It's just kind of ridiculous. So I was going to ask, Michael, is there a singular factor or the, you know what I mean? Like what's the, yeah. what? It, so let me start by saying, reiterating something that we say all, all the time. We believe that markets are efficient and that all information is being priced into the market. So what yeah. affects market prices is new information mm -hmm. or uh, changes in circumstances that makes you look at existing information differently. So what do I mean by that? Um, a president today uh, can tweet out something about a trade war with China. And you can look at companies and you can say these companies would be uh, positively affected by a trade war with China. These companies would be negatively impacted by a trade war with China. And so you might buy the companies that would be positively affected and sell those that would be negatively affected. Why? Well, because new information came out. Now, uh, Let's say that uh, the House and Senate were both controlled by the, the opposing party. And let's say that those leaders both immediately tweeted out, oh, a trade war with China would be the dumbest thing ever. We don't believe China is that, that big of a threat to our national security. Well, now prices might immediately go back to what they were before, because you're like, well, even though one person thinks you know, a trade war would be a good thing. The other person thinks that it's not. So that's politics. Politics affected it. Well, what if uh, Netflix happened to come out with a statement that says, by the way, every device, every network that's ever hosted Netflix, that's ever streamed a Netflix movie, uh, TV show, uh, is now vulnerable and any banking information tied to your Netflix account has now been hacked. What would happen to the value of Netflix? It'd go down pretty significantly, probably. Right. So what was that? It had nothing to do with politics. It had to do with company. And so there are all kinds of things that can cause investors to say, mm, I don't want to be associated with that company. Um, and those are, are just new pieces of information. So it, it really, right. I don't think there's a single thing. I think there's political developments, there's things that happen in public relations, and then there's things like just economic indicators um, that, that lead you to say, if the economy is doing well, or let's just take interest rates. Interest rates are low. 
what happens when interest rates are low? Uh, stuff is cheaper to buy. And by stuff, I mean everything. But specifically, I could go buy a house. I can refinance my house. I might buy a new car. So when interest rates come down, uh, I think I might be able to, to uh, afford some new stuff. But the other thing that happens when interest rates go down is frequently financial services companies, specifically banks, uh, they make money by having higher interest rates. So their stock prices can come down. Uh, sometimes, even though the price, uh, the, even though the interest rates come down and that should negatively affect their price, they're going to do a lot more business underwriting home loans. And so maybe their price goes back up. But the point right. is just that information is the thing that causes volatility. And that information can be about a variety of different factors. And how do people emotionally react to that information? Now, Adam, you made a good point saying that, you know, our capitalist society is set up to where a single president really can't make such radical differences. You know, it really can't affect us that much. But do you think somebody now without getting too political, do you think somebody like a Bernie or somebody that's really, really different than where we where we're at now could actually influence the market uh, in a significant way if his ideas are different enough? Sure. And let me clarify if if what I said sounded like I don't think a president can impact markets, that's not what I meant to communicate. A president can certainly impact markets. It's just not the only thing that impacts markets. Right. So if so, to use your example, let's say I'm, you know, a tried and true capitalist. I think Bernie's the worst thing that could ever happen to to the economy. Mm. Let's say he gets elected, and so I sell everything. I think he's going to raise taxes. He's going to make it impossible for companies to overcome these regulations. But then let's say something like um, artificial intelligence makes a three times leap, right, in its capability. And then let's say self driving cars become a thing. And then let's say. Um, there's a huge jump in the technological capability of smartphones or whatever the case is, right? I'm, I'm making the assumption that there's going to be no other impetus that could cause growth in some other area that, that we, we can't even um, wrap our minds around, right? It's like right. if you're an investor in the late 70s, early 80s, you couldn't even comprehend right. the way that something like the internet would impact the economy. Right, which is like now it's the fastest growing area of our economy. If you're in tech, you're in the fastest growing sector of our economy. Right. So it's it's just discounting the nature of of a capitalist approach. Now, yeah, I mean, if you're going to come in and say, "Hey, I am fundamentally changing this from a capitalistic approach to a a what would technically be a socialistic approach," then yeah, over a 30, 40, 50 year period, yes, that could have a large impact. But I just think. Our system is designed, and I mean, if you, if you look at the information I'm looking at here, it's almost funny how it's almost, it naturally works out to where you have, you know, maybe at most two terms of either a Democrat or Republican in office before it switches the other way. Right. So it, it's almost like as a society, we're saying, okay, let's yeah. get a little bit of this, and then, okay, it's yeah. gone, you know, a little bit too far that way. Okay, let's get somebody else and go a little bit back the other way. It just kind of, we're, as a society, finding that equilibrium. Now, who knows what the future holds, but I, I just truly believe that, um, yes, a president can absolutely impact markets, but I think it's a very hubris-filled assumption to say, 
I know that this is the one thing above all else is going to impact what the market's going to do because I think there's too many other things out there that could overcome whatever impact that president's going to have, assuming it's a negative one. And there's not even a lot of data that says it's a negative impact presidents have. It, if anything, all the data shows otherwise. That any any um, So we can look at Hoover where the Great Depression occurred. I think we can all agree that wasn't Hoover's fault. Uh, Hoover's fault. We can look at 08, 09. Um, and again, I mean, I know that people on the right want to say, well, Obama did that. Well, unfortunately, the biggest dip of that occurred literally across both presidencies. And Obama's right. first year was a positive year in the market. So, and obviously, I mean, it, I think it's pretty clear that the 08 financial crisis was caused by a very fundamental underlying problem in the market, not a presidential, um, not any single presidential decision that was made. So um, I and, just don't and, think that- to that to that point, yeah. it, it really is important to say that problem occurred over decades, probably right. decades of policy decisions mm-hmm. that you, some of them are just head scratchingly bad. And, and then not just policy decisions, but to your point earlier, companies saying, oh, so I can take advantage of that? You mean I can, I can write? alone and then sell it to somebody else who's going to pump, put it into a pension fund. And I, I don't even have to care if those people have money to pay back the loan. Like, okay, those, those underwriting standards, um, you know, that happened over long periods of time that, that people said, yeah, this is, this is, this is the way we should do business. So it's not, it's not ever a knock on an individual Right. People have in in it's not to say that people don't have an impact because I do think I mean I'll say this I think when President Trump tweets stuff out it does become frustrating cuz you're like well, what you just tweeted actually affects real people um in a positive or a negative way but it's in a skewed reality like you know people react to something he tweets as if oh it's the gospel truth we're going to have a trade war with china well right. you know and to some degree executive orders do allow a president to to direct what we're going to do but it it isn't really as simple as one person we don't live in a dictatorship but one person gets to say hey right. Here's what's going to happen. And the other thing I would say is when we talk about the market, it's it's really, really important to remind people that when you look at the market, you're looking at a group of companies. So let's take the S&P 500. The S&P 500 is the largest 500 companies in the United States. That's the way it's commonly thought of. but the top five stocks in the S&P 500 account for almost a quarter of the total value. So those five account for almost 25% of the total value. So if, if they go up and if they go down, so if Apple, Microsoft, if Google, Facebook, Amazon, if they increase or decrease in value, you look at the S&P 500 and you're like, wow, it went up or it went down. Well, the other 495 stocks might have done something different than those five, but they really moved the market. And so 
Earlier this year, I was reading, and this is the NASDAQ. So the NASDAQ's made up of like 2,700 companies and a little bit more. But in the NASDAQ, 2,600 of the companies had, had lost, had a lost market capitalization of $300 billion. So 2,600 had lost $300 billion. 10 companies had had an increase in market capitalization of $900 billion. And so if you looked at the NASDAQ- All you got to do is pick them. All you yeah. got to do is pick them, Michael. All you got to do is pick those 10. And so <laughs> if you looked at those 10, you would have said, wow, the, the NASDAQ's doing great. Well, no, 2,600 companies had collectively lost $300 mm -hmm. billion. That's not good at all. The fact that it was offset by 10 companies. Now, this is one of the reasons why we invest in indexes, because right. go pick those 10. And, 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 you know, when Adam says that, go, go pick those 10. If you look at the 10 uh, in the 10 top performing stocks and you look at, OK, uh, in the if you took the 10 companies that have most outperformed the market in the preceding three years and you said, OK, well, how do they perform going forward? Over the next decade, they underperformed the market statistically by one and a half percent. So the best performers over three years, usually underperform the, the market. the worst. Yeah, not the worst, but underperform the market. I, I think to right. get down to being the worst takes some time, but they do underperform the but, market. But they, but they revert to the mean, basically. They revert to the mean, that's exactly right. So if you said, well, just buy the thing that has done really well for the past three years, it's Otherwise almost known as a guarantee. chasing returns. Chasing returns, it's almost a guarantee that you're going to underperform the market as they revert to the mean. So it's, it's you know, you look at the, the 10 companies that, it, it, you don't want to short those companies. I'm not, not advocating that either. But you look at those 10 companies that made up this hugely disproportionate share of the NASDAQ gains, and you're like, well, did, what caused those companies to do well well, if you were going to say politics, the tweet that went out that you know may have moved markets, you're saying 2,600 companies apparently did poorly, and 10 companies did well. And then you look at the NASDAQ, and you're like, well, no, there's a lot of overlap in how these companies would have been affected by that. That's not actually true. And so it's just, I think it's, it's really... It's really important to remember that when we talk about the market, we're talking about a broad group of companies, and that when we say the S&P has done well, what we could be saying is that the five biggest stocks or the 10 biggest stocks uh, have done really well, and mm -hmm. uh, the other 490, and we're not sure what they did. Yep. And, right. you would still, and you would still say, the S&P's up. So... It's, it's just important to know that. Yeah, context is absolutely everything. I think that's an incredible point that, that Michael just made. And I think semi-related to that, I, one of the things we were talking about in kind of preparing for this, this episode and, and just kind of kicking around ideas, Jared, you had mentioned, so if it's not politics, right, if, if that's kind of what the data points to, what does, and you already asked Michael, what does move markets, right? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what we're getting to is, well, it's really hard to say with any 
with any certainty. Um, if you look at and, and I think kind of what that implies, right? Even that question implies over over a hundred years, right? There's these big inflection points where markets are flat to kind of garbagey, right? To use a technical term, and then all <laughs> of a sudden we have these big things like a president or some technological advance or whatever the case is where we have these big spikes in the market and that's what everyone's looking for. We're looking for that next big thing. But if you just look at data, if you look at the graph, it, it doesn't look like that, right? Like it's zoomed all the way out. Yeah. yeah, zoomed all the way out. It's actually relatively steady. Now, of course, you do have times of growth and times of drops, but it, it over relative and, and not even like I'm not talking about you have to go 50 years. Like even if you zoom out like 15, 20 years, it's just it it's relatively smoothly sloped. Right. And so what that tells me is of course you have big innovations. I, I think if you were to back me into a corner and say, what are the things that drive growth? It's probably a fundamental technological innovation. So something like the industrial revolution and urbanization, or mm -hmm. you know, you can look at the technological advances we we were forced to make as a result of World War II. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the technological, uh, you know, the the dot com boom and whatever you want to call that, the internet uh, innovation. But it's not as though the moment those things happen, everyone looks around collectively and goes, right. this is the next big thing, right? Like, oh, the automobile, that's going to change everything. Now we can have suburbs and fundamentally change the way we live. Like, no one was doing that at that moment. You have something like, you know, the internet come along, and then 30 years after its inception, we look back and we go, wow, look at all the growth. Look at all the ways businesses, you know, developed new ways to grow and new ways to to drive innovation and, and provide value to investors as a result of the internet. But it wasn't like one moment where we had all this growth that resulted from it. It was a steady, you know, over 10, 20, 30 years, companies and individuals and, and corporations find ways to sustainably drive consistent growth as a result of these innovations. But it's important to understand that to try to time it, to try to wait for that one thing, you're, you're going to always be waiting because we don't know what that thing is until we have enough data to look back and go, oh, that was the minute. That was the point that kind of sustained growth for the next two, three decades. And so I think, like Michael said, just having that context, looking at the actual data, not just a year or two or three years, but looking at long-term data, it really kind of puts into perspective, man, to put all your eggs in any single basket is probably a bad bet. That's exactly right. Michael, finally, if you had a client say, I'm scared of this president or that president um, coming into office and affecting the stock market, if you could just tell them basically a single sentence, one or two, what would you tell them to calm their fears? I would just say relax. I would say if you're worried about President Trump, uh, we've had four years of President Trump, you can look and say, um, you know, what are your what are your fears associated with him? Um, likely they're less economic and probably more social. Um, same thing with uh, a President Biden. I would say, okay, what are your fears? We've got a guy who's been a politician for 47 years. wasn't wasn't radical under uh, President Obama. I understand that during the political season, people say things to appeal to a base of people on both sides that are a little bit out there. But um, I don't believe that 
a single person is going to be able to come in and take over and do things that are radical. So you need to stay invested, stay consistent, and then have a philosophy that reflects a long-term view of uh, capital markets and where you are going to be able to meet your financial objectives. Beautiful. Adam, anything you want to add on to that? You know, a habit in investing is like a habit anywhere. It just takes repetition. It takes discipline. And, and you have to work. You have to build that muscle. You have to be able to put on your investor hat. And then you have to be able to take off that investor hat and then put on your, you know, political hat or your citizen hat, whatever it is that you want to call it. But, you know, be able to compartmentalize what matters when it comes to investing. And and obviously, everyone's entitled to their view and their opinion and their stance. That's that's part of being an American. And you're, you're entitled to be able to work in whatever capacity you can to try to move toward advancement, you know, with that view. But when it comes to investing, you have to be able to just look objectively at the data and say, what is the best decision here? Because if you're unable to do that, and we see it all the time, if you're unable to do that, you're going to make very easily avoidable mistakes. Um, and so just try to build that. And, you know, it's like anything else, educate yourself, educate yourself. We'll put, um, the graph I'm looking at, I'll, we'll, we'll be sure to put that in the show notes as you're listening to this and maybe go back and kind of re-listen to this and, and have that graph up while you're listening, because educating yourself on the data, it's super helpful. Even for me, as someone that does this every day, it's really helpful to be able to kind of, it helps clear out the noise. Um, so I think what Michael said is absolutely appropriate. Just calm down. <laughs> That's what we'll title this podcast then. Everyone just calm down. Thank you guys so much for your yep. time. Uh, I guess we'll get out of here. What do you guys say? Yeah, sounds good. as good as time as any. Thanks, Jared. Appreciate it. Bye, guys. Thank you, guys. See ya. If you have a question for either Michael or Adam concerning this topic or anything else, please visit assetbuilder.com slash podcast. There you can find their contact information as well as the show notes for every single episode. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not to be construed as an offer, solicitation, recommendation, or endorsement of any particular security, product, or service. For more information, visit assetbuilder.com.